I'm Leslie Barber, and you're listening to Monday Morning Critic Podcast. In the Wild West world of podcasting, there is one podcast that is authentic and genuine and continues to stand tall in its originality. Based on a passion for his guests, their work, and his love of podcasting, Derek Thomas and Monday Morning Critic Podcast get amazing, diverse, unique guests found nowhere else. The variety and quality are endless. There is something for everyone. Derek Thomas is the hero you deserve. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector. Welcome to Monday Morning Critic Podcast. Here is Derek Thomas. If you could take one guy to an island with you and you knew you'd be safe because he was the best man, he was going to keep you happy, if it was between me and your father, who would you take? My daddy. I don't think you're wrong about that. Hello, this is Lee. What happened to my brother? So that's the Lee Chen, huh? I don't understand. Which part are you having trouble with? Well, I can't be his guardian. Well, your brother provided for your nephew's upkeep. I think the idea was that you would relocate. Relocate to where? Well, if you yeah. look, it was my impression that you'd spent a lot of time here. I swear. I'm just a backup. Lee, nobody can appreciate what you've been through. And if you really feel you can't take this on, you know, that's your right. Where are we going, to the orphanage? Shut up. Get in the car. Can't obey your orders until you unlock the door. Whatever you decide, he can always stay with us if he wants to come up weekends. Do you want to be his guardian? Well, he doesn't we want to be already, my guardian. We for already Christ's sake, got a house. We're trying to lose some kids, kids at this point. House? Hello. Hello, Lee. I just want to call and say I'm sorry. How's Patrick doing? Well, he doesn't really open up with me. Do you actually have sex with these girls? Strictly basement business. What does that mean? It means I'm working on it. You don't want to be my guardian? That's fine with me. Not that. It's just the logistics. All my friends are here. I got two girlfriends, and I'm in a band. You're a janitor and Quincy. What the hell do you care where you live? I've said a lot of terrible things to you. My heart was broken, and I know yours is broken, too. No, you don't understand. There's nothing there. That's not true. something wrong with me. Do you want me to call your friends? I don't know. What do you want me to do? I'm not gonna bother you. I'm gonna just sit here until you calm down. All right, I'm calming it. Would you please just go away? No. So I, I love your, I want to say first, I love your website, right? So I want to start off with something completely not music related. Uh, maybe it is. I don't know. Um, so you, you said your passions are, are, are good food, great cities and interesting company. So would you say, give me an example of something you just absolutely love. So I'm not going to, I'm really tempted to ask you if you had one last meal to eat, but I feel like that's very dire if I say it that way. Uh, what's a food, <laughs> what's a food that you really love? Like give me something that you really love. Oh gosh, I I would say shellfish, except I just found out I'm allergic to shellfish, and so I can't say that anymore. Oh um, no, like lobsters. So um, I I just I like all kinds of food, but I I love a great um, uh, French meal or uh, Italian or American any kind of American fusion. Um, yeah, and yeah. great wine. It's it's always an awesome experience. 
That is so like because I gotta say I love like oysters. I love uh, steamers. Like I'm so sad that you are now. Uh, yes. You know it's uh but but lobster is absolutely delicious. I always feel Leslie. I don't know. I, ever since I've owned a dog, I've become overly sensitive. And every time I walk past a lobster tank in a in a um, supermarket, <laughs> I feel like the most guilty person on the planet. Like I just and I love lobster. Like it's such a hypocritical thing that I that I do. Mm-hmm. You know, well, there's, there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> what's a um? What's a city that is really um? I'll use the word breathtaking. What's a city that you absolutely love? A city that you've been to that's just blowing. I mean, I'm sure there's been many, but one in particular that blows you away. Ooh, these are really good questions. I I mean I I feel so happy when I'm in Los Angeles. I always have an amazing time there, mm-hmm. and the views from every angle are always interesting. Uh, I also lived in London for a while and right a stone's throw from Selfridges, right in the heart of Mayfair for a while by the Dorchester apartment uh, hotel, pardon me, and really enjoyed the vibrancy of London uh, and, and then moved to Notting Hill, which I really loved. Mm. Um, and I, I was just in Paris a little while ago and, remember just how much how much how beautiful that city is and how every day can give you an experience that takes your breath away yeah that's a great answer or uh, a view that takes your breath away <laughs> yeah and, and and speaking of 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 great cities you know you're, you're born in toronto canada speaking of a, of a very nice and breathtaking city toronto has a great reputation for being beautiful as well right it does. It's, we have great restaurants here, and we have an extremely vibrant film community. And you're always a drive away from an incredible, beautiful countryside and uh, nature, which is wonderful as well. Yeah, and you know, I, I feel like I've gone on, on a trend where um, I feel like many of the composers I've been in, um, interviewing lately are are from Canada, and, and many of the actors as well. It, it's amazing how that works. Um, and, and I will say this, and, and, and people listening are probably so sick of me um, saying this, but um, I, I got to tell you, the Canadian kindness is a real thing. Like that, that exists. Like, like I, I'm not trying to isolate any other country, but I'm telling you now, Canadian kindness is a real thing. Well, that's great. Yeah, to hear. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Um, so the, the fact that I'm looking at your life, right? I'm trying to kind of process how you get to where you are today. Um, y- you know. A, the, the idea that you were self-taught just I, I have a tough time like processing that like it's uh, listening to your music listening to your work listening to what you've done to know that your origins are are self-taught some of them is is it's hard it's hard for me to wrap my my mind around that like it's very hard for me to do that and it and, and it screams volumes about your abilities right um just mm-hmm. talk a little about your beginnings in music because it's pretty impressive uh well I I am self-taught to an extent, although a lot of um, my relatives on my father's side were um, were were great uh, amateur musicians. So uh, they knew how to stick the right piece of music in front of me at the right time. I actually just remembered that one of the first uh, pieces I learned when my father bought the sheet music for me for Killing Me Softly, and uh, I just <laughs> met Charles Fox who wrote that, and wow. he played it. I just heard him play it and sing it uh, in. Uh, Middleburg, Virginia, a couple of weeks ago, and it was really a moving experience. Um, but yeah, so I, I was self-taught, but but I did have you know relatives who could um, just put the right piece of music in front of me at the right time, and 
my, and show me how to notate my own music. And j just, you know, here and there, they just listen to something I'm doing and, and just give me a little, you know, um, leg up on what the next step might be. Uh, but I, I, I certainly spent hours and hours writing music as a kid and then uh, took some more serious piano lessons, I would say, in later high school so that I could get into university. And then, of course, I went on to really become much more trained at orchestration um, and uh, composition and um, conducting and also a lot of computer programming and, and synth programming, which I was drawn to uh, very quickly. And, and uh and so when, once I got to university and got into those master's studies and, and those sorts of things, I, I, um, I just drenched myself in, 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 in a lot of different disciplines and, and traditions of, 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 of music. Yeah, that's, that's a great answer. You know, um, and it's really refreshing for me to hear that you had, a, it sounds like you had a supportive musical family, right? Because many times artists have to make that choice, right? Um, do I go down the road of acting or composition or directing or whatever, you know, versus getting that, you know, steady and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a steady nine to five, you know, they have to make a choice of family versus, you know, chasing what they love. And it's, it's refreshing for me to hear you say that it almost sounds like your family was super supportive in your, in, in your, um, in your journey. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think they just knew that I wasn't really going to listen to anybody so <laughs> I was just sort of doing what I wanted to do and uh yeah they did they gave me a lot of support along the way yeah because you mentioned your your, your work at the University of Toronto you did study composition for those listening the focus is on electronic music and, and orchestration is it are, are your um the, the music that you love coming into that are, are they uh, music composers are they you know uh, composers that we've heard about throughout history who are like and i know you've been asked this many times but i think mm -hmm. it's an important thing the influences or maybe movies that that really kind of sparked you but i feel like you've been doing it since you were young so maybe that didn't exist but i'm sure as you go along as an artist you're always evolving and and changing um anybody responsible for for your like love and and just your passion for for your craft uh well i think you know, I was immersed in pop music growing up, but um, my my parents were also into co collecting records, and they had a great pop music collection. But also encouraged me to any any record I wanted. So if I wanted Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, I could either get it at the library, <laughs> or they would help me find these. Really, I I always liked this thing that I'd never heard of before. So if I heard about Bartok string quartets, I wanted to hear those, or Scarlatti sonatas, or I don't know, whatever it was that I had had not experienced, I was always very hungry for. And um, yeah, I would um, somehow get my hands on those uh, albums and listen to them over and over and over again. So um, that helped. And then just um, coming from the experience I, I did and then going to university and, and I made a point, you know, of constantly going to concerts and and, and just just hearing everything I possibly could, you know, um, that, that, that's really, I, I guess, curiosity, you know? Yeah. Well, well-rounded for sure. Um, you know, in, in an interview, and, and I hope I'm not taking this like out of context, like in an interview I was reading that you did, you said that you had considered other interests and occupations in your early twenties. Uh, two questions out of that. Um, why did you, why, why did you consider others when you got to that point? Well, hopefully the, the quote is accurate, but, um, how, why did you, why were you at that point and what were the occupations you were considering? Uh, well, I also, um, 
I, I'm, I'm also, I enjoy writing. So I enjoy writing fiction. I enjoy writing mm. scripts. Um, uh, so that was something that I was really interested in was um, theater and, and films right from the, from the beginning, possibly as a writer, mm. as well as a composer. Um, I was also interested in architecture. I was also interested. And so I, I think that I was, I was just figuring out where to put my energy, but, um, music, um, I think music for sure was the most, um, is a very compulsive addiction once you get into writing music. And once you start working on a piece, it's very difficult to leave it. I find it very difficult to leave. Um, so I did find it always, um, extremely compelling and and once I figured out that I enjoyed working with other people that I needed that because I'm a pretty social person and I, I need to work with other people and the idea of being a concert composer and working by myself and um, having the piece played in a limited number of ways that that was frustrating to me but once I started working in theater and film I really found my niche and um, that that has given me so many amazing experiences, uh, um, collaborative experiences that, that I've just found it, um, amazingly easy to embrace this, uh, this occupation. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I have a few questions before we dive into your, your specific filmography. Uh, what composer, um, would you like, would you want to do a, um, a composition, a score, a composing a score about your life? Who would you choose? Um, wow, that's very difficult. Um, it's almost unfair. I feel bad. I think point. it would have to be a hybrid. I mean, there would, cause there would, there would have to be maybe something like Schubertian about it. And there would also have to be something incredibly contemporary. Um, and I really listen to a lot of R and B and I, I listen to a, a, a lot of hip hop and I listen to a lot of, um, beat driven music so I, i'm just trying to figure out what that would look like and it might be frightening <laughs> in some respects but, um life is so it's okay yeah yeah it you know that it, that's kind of an unfair question um when was the last time you were really blown away by a musical piece when you were watching either um a show or a movie whether it's streaming or a movie what, what was the last score that really blew you away Oh, that's a very difficult question. Um, I, I I like the fun of what Chris Bowers did in Bridgerton. I have to say that was that's really fun. Mm. Um, I like the score for. Um, oh, this is this is very challenging. Um, I might have to pass because. Uh, I've heard so many interesting scores that it's hard to pull a couple out. Um, I've liked the work that Johnny Greenwood has been doing uh, in films. And I find that really, really interesting. Um, there's been a lot of scoring lately that's sort of drone driven and I'm, I'm not that interested in that, but I, it's, it's always great to hear um, when a composer and director decide to take like really make bold choices and have um, interesting, well-structured, uh, dramatic music that has melody and harmony and 
and uh, really is written to picture. So um, that's something that I that I always find really satisfying when I when I hear the music really truly working with picture and telling the story. Yeah, that's that's a great answer to a very tough question. Um, you know, your filmography is really amazing for those listening. Late Night, Manchester by the Sea, which could be uh, a top three composed um, uh, score for a movie in the last 10, 15 years easily. Uh, you Can Count on Me, Mansfield Park. Um, I, I had, I have asked this question before, and I know you've been asked this question many times, but I always like hearing the answers from, from people who are in this position. Um, Leslie, are female composers uh, in a better position as we speak today? than they were five, 10 years ago. Are we going in the right direction? Are we getting people in a place where, because I feel like when I, I listen to scores daily, right? And I feel like I'm not hearing as many um, female composed, composed um, projects as I would like, right? Are we in a better place? Is it is this, you know, anything you want to add to that, I would certainly appreciate. Well, I feel like the conversation is there and that, that that there's more visibility of the issue. Um, it would definitely be great to hear um, way more female presence in feature films. Uh, it's not enough for film productions to say they have female representation in the score and and simply have a song or a, you know a, a sync a sync a song um, license. It's it's having that voice. And I think it's a question of like greater diversity and we're starting to see it. And we're also starting to see that not only do we want to see different um, experiences from a diverse, um, um, the diverse world that we live in, but we also want to hear um, that diversity. And it actually adds so much to the project. When you look at, um, you know, a project like Squid Game, bringing it's number one right now, Netflix apparently, mm -hmm. and you think, you know, that people were are hungry to have this view on this extremely unique project that that doesn't look like a lot of other things we see on uh, on the small screen and the large screen. So, and also, but we also need to hear that diversity on screen. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see that there, that, that there is a broader um, vision of what a composer looks like. You know, when you look at, you know, the Hilder score for Joker and you look at the score that uh, Mika Levy, you look at the scores that Mika Levy is writing, you, these scores are influencers. These are tastemakers. And so as soon as, you know, you see that when, women are given the space to write scores that they're impacting the future of, of film scores. And I think that that, when you, when you start to feel that reverberance, um, that that's where we need to be heading with, um, with film, with female film composers. So, you know, we just have a lot more work to do though. I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I had Natalie Holt who did, um, a couple things for Disney continues to do things for Disney. Um, Loki was the most recent and her work is fantastic as is yours. It's mm -hmm. like, well, 
let's go, let's keep the ball rolling. Like what's let's, you know, I think we're at a point now where, you know, I'm not, not to be, not to be at a point of overkill, but we are, I mean, um, you know, I look at you, uh, we talk about, you know, for those listening, your impressive, like multi-instrument, the, your work that you, you're talking about all the music that's kind of played an influence in your life, just really impressive things. Um, how do you know when you're scoring Leslie? And, and I'm, I'm going to dive into Manchester in a bit. How do you know when you're scoring, when you really have hit the mark, like where you really, you're at a point where it's like, this is it. This is what I want. Because I always feel like, even like you mentioned writing earlier, right? I feel like you can tinker until you drive yourself insane, right? <laughs> Same with composition. I feel like from the outside looking in, like you could say, this needs to be adjusted. That, I mean, it, that's got to be maddening to some degree, right? So um, how do you know when, you, when you're when you okay with it? I mean, sometimes studios give you no choice. They're saying, look, it, I need this in a week or I need this in a month or whatever. But how do you know when you're at a point where you're where you're content and you're happy? Uh, well, yeah, deadlines can be very motivating. And if you know something, you know, that you just have to hit your marks so that the produ- producers can hit their marks and the director can hit their marks in terms of scheduling and post-production, that's a great motivator. Right. Um, uh, but when I'm starting uh, scores, the original ideas are very important to me. Um, Saying something that hasn't been said quite the same way, finding that special place in the story where a score can, um, you know, tell a story that's not, make the invisible visible or make the invisible a little more visible in terms of emotional journeys, what's at stake, what are people longing for, um, what what are they up against? What what are their biggest um, what, what 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 are they up against? Because there's always in, in any story a potential for some kind of physical or psychological violence, almost. And and you want to you want to tap into these central um, points of the story. And and sometimes you know the first week or two, uh, you know, you're just simply searching for that quality. And then when you get the actual film and you have a look at it um that can change the the way you write as well but you just know when it fits it's a very intuitive process and um uh if you're working with a great director that's key because they will help you um they they kind of let you know um how bold you can be with things. And so working with a great director like Kenny Lonergan is amazing because from the get-go, if I have an idea of acapella voices or um, if, if I sit down and play something on the piano or I have an idea of doing something that's 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 not what you hear every day in his film score, I know that he's going to be extremely receptive and he's going to, he's going to look at his picture and, and, and he's going to, um, he's not going to, you know, rule out the bold idea. Yeah. And that's, you kind of stole my next question here. Um, Kenny Lagerin is easily one of the best directors on the planet and, and it helps. And, and the fact that he keeps going back to you, that, that has to, I mean, I know you guys have a great, clearly have to have a great rapport. You guys are familiar with each other, but the, but the good thing is the fact that he keeps bringing you back to me, that, that screams compliment, Leslie, he loves your work. Right. And that in itself is, is a, is a big deal, right? Well, I- I mean, I, I absolutely love working with him. So um, anytime I have the opportunity, I'm extremely grateful. Yeah. And, and it's, you, you, you said it yourself. You know his style. He knows your style. It makes for such a – like because I feel like if when you're working with somebody new, you're getting to know each other. You know, per, perhaps they're familiar with your work and vice versa. 
but you don't really, you know, you don't know the little things, their style, what they're like, you know, when things get to crunch time, how they react, how they, you know, so there's a lot of intangibles. Those are all kind of solved when you're in a project with, with, with Kenny because you're, you're familiar with his work. So that's going to make things a little bit easier just, just from a, um, uh, an atmosphere point of view, environment point of view, right? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I, I know you're, you don't strike me as somebody that's a big awards fan. So I'm looking at, I'm looking, I'm listening to your score. Um, you know, uh, Manchester by the Sea, one of the best movies of the last decade, certainly. Um, you know, and I'm looking at the 2017 Academy Awards and I'm thinking to myself, how in the hell was this never nominated? Because I almost feel like people were intimidated by the score. I feel like it's so enormous and it's so like nothing else anyone's ever done and so unique. I almost feel like, I'm trying to figure out a polite way to say you got, um, you were snubbed, but I'm trying to think of a term that's 10 times more powerful than that because I feel, <laughs> I, I feel like, Thank you. yeah, I, I feel like it's, I would pay a ticket to listen to this performed with an orchestra. I mean, I just think it's so like nothing else I have ever heard. And it's almost, it's almost intimidating from a point where it's like, I can't believe how good this sounds and how unique it is and how it's not the same, you know, verse over. It's just so diverse. And it's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm peppering you with a lot of compliments right now, but I just want you to know, um, how much that score means to me in my life. And, um, are awards a big thing with you? I mean, obviously clearly it would have been great, but is there a disappointment in that? And, I, and I'm not looking for a reaction or anything, but you know, if whatever you wanted to add to that. Well, it was, you know, I, I, I'm not a big awards person, although, I mean, everyone likes to receive awards, obviously, um, but that's not really what drives me. And it's not at all what drives me when I'm working on the project. So um, I, the attention that the score received was uh, overwhelming and it, and it was, it was, it was really thrilling. And it was um, also just so great to see the amazing reception um, for Manchester, even that, that first screening at Sundance, because I'd literally mixed the score about a week before that, um, wow. or maybe four or five days. Uh, so it was, it was, a, it was. I always go back to those experiences, uh, just the experience of 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 putting the score together um, with that particular team, um, and they were all really awesome to work with. Uh, in terms of the score, I mean that was a funny experience because it also there was a few other composers. Um, Johan Johansson also had this issue where um, rest in there peace. Was, there was yes, exactly. Mm. What a what a wonderful composer. And there was an issue where um, you know they thought that um, there might be some confusion as to what I'd written and what was um, the classical music because my music was also had. Um, a bit of a, a classical profile to it. So um, there were some issues around that uh, for the Academy, which was, you know, um, it happens now and then, and, and you just have to um, know that the Academy's, you know, doing great work. So um, yeah, that was, it was an interesting experience. And um, I, I hope I get to write some more scores like that. Cause that was, a, that was a fun one to do. And it's the kind of music I love to write. Well, here's where my issue comes in, right? Because Casey Affleck deservingly wins Best Actor in an award, um, uh, you know, so many awards around this movie. He wins Best Actor. But, like, your music is, like, is it the same movie without your music? So I feel like there's times where your music replaces what would be Casey's dialogue, right? You're, we hear yeah. your music stream in. So it's like, if he is nominated, and I mean, I'm probably dissecting this too much, but... 
your music really feels this film. Like, I, I don't know when you, when you take, take a look at all the pieces, it's almost like, and, and whatever for the Academy, I just feel like a little more research could have been helpful, right? Like if you watch the movie and you dissect it, it's mm-hmm. your, your music fuels this thing. And there's a lot, I, I mean, Kenny's directing, and there's a lot of great pieces. I'm not saying that, but your music is a very, very big part of Casey's character and this movie itself. Yeah. Uh. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and one of the things I read, which I, I, I couldn't, I hoped, I really hope this is correct, is that I, I am a sucker for, um, uh, the, the, uh, is it acapella voices in the background? Do I have that correct? Yes, acapella voices. Or, yeah. or, or any type of vocals in like movie scores. Oh, like, like I love them and I love it here. Tell mm-hmm. me I have it right that it was your daughter that provided those in this movie. <laughs> yes, it's true. Get out of uh, here. I, I had the idea of, of, writing um, a music that reflected the Puritan history and the history of sort of trauma that settlers uh, experienced when they came to the part of the world that um, that Lee Chandler, played by Casey Affleck, he's living in this, like, one of the first settled parts by, set, I mean, by settlers uh, coming to America. So I wanted to dig into sort of an, an, an old trauma in the, in the, in the sense that, um, that trauma is, is, is part of the human experience. So um, I, I wrote, I worked on these pieces that were sort of inspired by Puritan hymns and, and my daughter is a, is, is a gorgeous singer. She's studying opera performance in Munich right now. Um, Jesus. And uh, I, she was in her dorm at university and I had some equipment sent to her room and we recorded a demo over Skype. Uh, well, like a, over dig, digitally late one night. Um, and it was interesting because she had to sort of keep her voice down because of her, dorm of other people in the dorm <laughs> and she had it put, you know linked up to her like laptop and she'd rented the mic was rented from the library I think it was like but it was a very very good microphone because they've got uh, the, she was at McGill they have a wonderful uh, music department there so it was like top-notch audio equipment but the circumstances <laughs> were quite unique and um, I think she was maybe about 17 at the time. And oh so she gosh. recorded this absolutely beautifully. And uh, I wanted to send it to Kenny to see what he thought. And he absolutely loved it. Um, I didn't find out for a while because um, he didn't respond right away. He started um, putting it to picture and seeing how it worked. And that actual demo is um is in the film because there was somehow the whole sense of her somehow we captured in that performance, a quality that just really works with where Lee Chandler is at.
and then for some of the other ones, uh, then we, then I, you know, expanded on that idea. And for some of the other pieces, which are, uh, cues that are on vast exteriors and we really need the breadth of the sea and we need the, um, feeling of, um, kind of an omniscient, um, point of view or bird's eye point of view. Uh, I, I recorded those in a very large, uh, 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 recording um, like a, an auditorium, you know, a yeah. beautiful theater. And those have a different quality to them. But it's it's really, film gives you this wonderful opportunity to work with performers and you realize how much in just the simple performance, the choice of instrument, even one violin instead of another violin, one violinist instead of another violinist, mm. the type of singing, where the person's at, the relationship to picture there's it's just when it works it's just pure magic yeah and the fact that your daughter and you have this rapport and just it's such a <laughs> wonderful story that i will go a thousand more interviews and never hear a story like that again that is so wonderful yeah. to hear you know when you read the script right and you made so many great choices for this is it is it um is it lee's uh, um score or is it i mean i know it's the movie score but is essentially is it is it Lee's like when, when you're reading about Lee and, and it's a very emotional story. It's a very heart wrenching, heartbreaking story. Is, is the score, the movie score, is it, is it, is it his, does that make sense? Yeah, to some extent. I mean, whenever he's in a, in the score, whenever he's in a shared space with um, other people talking to him, you hear the music of the environment. So you hear the music in the back of the bar you hear, but if he's alone, I always think of it this way, like there's the music that someone experiences in their life and there's the music in your head, mm, <laughs> you know, there's mm. this sort of music of, of, of you. And so with that score, that score was a really great opportunity to, to really work with that idea and that approach, which I use in almost every score, really. It's like, what is this person all about? But with that uh, film in particular, that approach was the right one. Yeah, it, it's very powerful. It's next level scoring. I, I haven't heard anything about it, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to minimize the compliments moving forward. But that's <laughs> I, I'm, I'm speaking from the heart. And it, you know what? Where I really love seeing this, I own this. I own the score on, on iTunes. But I have to say, when I go to YouTube and I listen to it, and I'm listening as I'm researching, and I'm reading comments about how this music is changing people's lives or how they're they're weeping while listening to it. Boy, does that make, I mean, and comments on YouTube can always go the other way, but yes. the, the, the ones that I read, boy, it, it does sound like your music is, is changing some people's lives, which I have to believe as an artist is the ultimate, ultimate compliment. Thank you so much. I'm going to have to check those out. Yeah, yeah it's very, it's very kind. Um, so I want to bounce a little bit. I have a few more questions for you. Thank you for all this time. You know, getting back to those two, the 2017 Academy Awards, one of the movies nominated was Lion. I had Dustin O'Halloran on the podcast. He was nominated. Wonderful composer as you are. Um, can you believe that Thomas Newman has been nominated 16 times and hasn't won? I, I it's, it's just a funny old world. I have it's it's that is really shocking. Just as it's shocking that Diane Warren has yet to win, you know, an Oscar for for best song, and uh, <laughs> it, it, I, I and uh, you know she's one of the most brilliant songwriters walking this planet. So um, it's it's funny. I, I it's it's but I think the thing is usually in that in that group of nominations you just see you you do. Nor you see outstanding work, you know, and it's it's a celebration of um, 
of the best of, 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 of creativity, hopefully, you know, in feature films. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of the Academy Awards. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that. You know, let me ask you um, about the movie in general. I'm, I'm sure like many of us, you were you, you were in tears at the end. I mean, it's just or throughout the whole movie. It's Kenny's view on how he expresses grief is so genius. I mean, there's so, directors sometimes take the, you know, the easy way out, where, but he portrayed it as it really would unfold because it's just an enormous tragedy. What, there's kind of two two sentiments I read about this. People seem to think that it's okay that things aren't okay, and moving forward that you don't have to be okay to move forward. I feel like it's not that. I feel like this movie is healing is a lifelong process, and you know what? He's in a better place at the end of the movie. It's not a place we'd prefer him to be, but he's in a better place, and he's learning, I guess, learning to walk emotionally. Back, back. Is that, is that, am I looking at it the right way, Leslie? Is that, is that a good way of looking at it? I mean, I think it's a great way of looking at it. And I, I don't think there's any right way of looking at it. Um, but, but certainly you do feel that at the, the, the final shots of the film, you, you feel that, um, you know, that his, that spring is coming. Oh, that's a great way of, that's a great way of saying mm -hmm. it. Um, uh, before I let you go, is there anything that you wanted to throw out there? Anything that's coming up for you? Because I really hope I get, I am fortunate enough to listen to your music moving forward. Is there any other projects you're involved in? I know there's, um, I read an interview where you would love to do a, a sci-fi, a big sci-fi movie one day. Um, I would love to hear that. I think that would be a great sound. Um, talk about anything that's coming up or anything you'd like to say. Uh, well, I'm working on sort of a, a personal large-scale project right now, which has been taking up a lot of my time, which I started working on just sort of mid-COVID era. And uh, and um, I can't really talk about that right now, but it's it's I, I'm ex totally thrilled about it. And um, yeah, and uh, there's there's um, some other scores percolating as well, if I can kind of fit them in around, you know, this project. So yeah, you're going to hear more music in the future for sure. Thank you for listening to Derek Thomas and Monday Morning Critic Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can also connect with Monday Morning Critic on Instagram and Facebook, MDM Critic on Twitter, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. All episodes available, www.mmcpodcast.com.